And when he had ceased speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great shoal of fish, and as their nets were breaking, they beckoned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished in all that were with him at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Henceforth you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Brothers, I'd like to reflect on two apostles that I think uh, help us understand where we are and where we need to be. And the first, obviously, is St. Peter. And let me say that uh, in terms of atonement and reparation, I think we priests uh, need to atone for our making fun of St. Peter. Uh, because we've gotten a lot of jokes at his, you know, at his, ex- um, you know, to his detriment, right? Uh, at his expense, uh, because he's you know, in the Gospels, he's always kind of you know blurting things out, and then he he ultimately kind of fails in a monumental manner. And uh, I think a lot of priests have gotten mileage out of sort of you know rolling their eyes at Peter. Uh, once heard a, a, a priest call him a, a, a blockhead, which I just don't think he should call saints' names like that. So Peter reveals to us three great, well, virtues or traits of character that are so important uh, in, in the church, for the clergy, uh, by extension for, for, for you as well. Uh, and he also shows how failing in those leads to one's demise. The first um, virtue is reverence. This is something we see about in St. Peter from the start, which is why I began with this passage. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know, it's always struck me there's a, there's, there's a, fair amount of self-knowledge that Peter is revealing there. He's kind of telling our Lord from the very start, listen, <laughs> I'm a sinful man. You, you, don't, you don't want me to, you know, you, need, you should probably get away from me. It's like he's saying, I'm just the kind of guy that will betray you, that will deny you. Um, he has this great reverence for our Lord uh, f- from the start. Um, we see another aspect of this at the Last Supper, Right? Our Lord comes to wash the feet of the apostles. And Peter has such great reverence for him. I mean, there's just this love that he feels for our Lord that is animated also or characterized also by great reverence and admiration for him. And so when our Lord stoops before him to wash his feet, this menial task, this slavish task, Peter can't stand it. Uh, his reverence is such that he wants to kind of even push our Lord's service away. Uh, 
Peter's reverence is characterized by a, you know, as I mentioned, an awareness of his own weakness. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And it's characterized by a, a, uh, an awareness of our Lord's greatness, of our Lord's purity. This, this is a virtue that, that every man needs to cultivate, uh, that this reverence that is an awareness of our weakness and of God's greatness, of our impurity and his purity. It's the reaction of Isaiah when he sees as a vision in the temple he says, woe is me. It's not the presumptuous sort of familiarity with God of, of modernity. It's, it's the foundational sort of elemental recognition that he is God and I am not. He is holy and I am not. Obviously, this reverence needs to characterize the Lord's sacred ministers more than anyone else. And it's threatened uh, because in our lives because we handle divine things all the time. Um, one of the craziest things for a priest to say uh, is, is when somebody says, hey, what's going on? He says, nothing. <laughs> okay, you absolve sins, you confect the Eucharist, you proclaim the gospel, and you have the audacity to say that nothing's going on. Now I understand. You can't say, well, I confected the Eucharist this morning. So, um, but we risk becoming f- too familiar with sacred things and sacred people. And so all the more reason for our, our reverence, and brothers, for you as well, reverence for sacred things, for the sacraments, the teachings of the church, and for persons, for your wives, your children, and your siblings, that, that reverence that God's grace is somehow working in this person's soul. I don't know how it is, and not many signs that it actually is, but I have to trust that it is, right? Reverence for the other person as well. So it's one thing we learned from Peter, just such on, I mean, from the start, he displays this reverence. Second, self forgetfulness. Uh, this is where we're tempted to roll our eyes and chuckle at, at Peter. But really, we should admire him. One of the foundational gospel commands is, unless you convert and become like children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's Peter. He's very childlike. On the sea, Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. At Caesarea Philippi, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. On Mount Tabor, Lord, it is good that we are here. At the Last Supper, Lord, even if everyone else betrays you, I will not. And in the garden, drawing the sword and going into battle. There's this self-forgetfulness he has. He doesn't really care how he looks. He's not gauging his response to the Lord on, well, what are the, what are the 11 other guys going to say? What will they think about it? You know, you guys think this is okay to do? Should I get out of the boat and do it? What do you think? Should I, you know, do an opinion poll here? Um, this is one of the most endearing things about St. Peter. There, this unfeigned, um, uncalculated devotion to our Lord. He's not measuring anything else other than his devotion. He's completely self-forgetful, which is why sometimes he looks foolish. 
He has a desire to serve Jesus and to be like him. What an amazing thing. Lord, if, if that is really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. I want to do what you're doing. It's, you know, in the Gospels, the miracles that our Lord works are simply the restoration of the natural order. He gives the blind sight. He, he gives the lame health. He gives the deaf hearing, the mute speech. He raises the dead. Death, blindness, deafness, muteness, lameness. These are all defects of nature in a fallen world. Our Lord simply restores these, these persons to the natural order. But notice, he gives sight, but he doesn't give x-ray vision. He gives, he gives hearing, but he doesn't give bionic hearing. Uh, and, and he enables the lame man to walk, but he doesn't give him the power to, you know, he, he doesn't become the flash and can, you know, the superhuman speed. But to Peter, he does. He gives him the capacity to do something that is more than human. Peter walks on water. Yeah, okay, yeah, we know he starts sinking, right? Okay, good. But he walks on water. Uh, he does what Jesus does. And it's the self-forgetfulness that, that is the, the condition for that miracle to work. And there's the other sort of obscure, somewhat odd miracle when, when Peter is questioned about the temple tax. And he goes back and he asks our Lord. And our Lord says, well, go, go cast your hook into the sea and, you know, catch a fish and reach into its mouth. There'll be two coins there. Oh, sure. Happens all the time, right? So he, he, he gives Peter this ability to do something that, that, that is not actually in the natural order, but beyond it. And again, it's the human condition of that is this self-forgetfulness. How many times have we stifled God's grace because we've lacked this self-forgetfulness? Because we're worried about what others are going to think. Peter is always right in his, in his reaction, in his response. Um, his timing isn't always the best, but he, he's right to say, okay, Lord, I want to be like you. If you're walking on water, I want to walk on water, and I trust that you can make me walk on water. Uh, it is good for us to be here. It was good for them to be there. And it was good for him to want to dwell with the glorified Lord. That's precisely why we're created. So on. It was good for him to say, Lord, even if everybody else abandons you, I won't. I'm willing to die for you. That was a good thing for him to say. So there's the self-forgetfulness that is the condition of so much grace uh, within Peter. And the third, the third thing is his natural virtue. Peter was clearly just a leader, just naturally speaking. I mean, in the Gospels, you get the sense that they just deferred to him, all of the other apostles, there, there seems to be the strength of character, uh, th- that he was an impressive man. I mean, he was, he was the owner of a small business, you know, um, and in a small town, that's actually pretty big. Uh, he was clearly the leader of the apostles, even before our Lord sort of commissioned him to be. We see in him these natural virtues of fidelity. He wants to be faithful to our Lord, of, of courage. He wants to kind of go, go into battle and fight for our Lord. And a natural virtue of a manly affection 
for Christ. So what happens? <laughs> how, does this, how does this all go, go pear-shaped, as, as the British say? Um, just Everything just goes, just sags, and he fails in the end, right? Um, well, because he, the, he ultimately fails in these three areas. So instead of being self-forgetful, or, or, or rather, in, in, instead of that reverence for our Lord, he begins to fear other things. He's walking on the water, and, and he begins to fear the waves and the wind. He begins to fear other people at the charcoal fire. Instead of this reverence, this holy fear for our Lord, he looks around at his surroundings and sees, okay, what's... Other things are here are frightening. It's a fear of looking different. Uh, he, he fears the servant girl in Caiaphas's courtyard, the servant girl, the lowest rung of society. He's frightened by that. He loses this holy fear, this reverence that he has, and he allows that that natural instinct of fear to be redirected somewhere else. You know, fear of the Lord is what keeps us from fearing other things. It's interesting in, in, in Scripture, there are two principal seemingly contradictory themes. Do not be afraid and fear of the Lord. Well, <laughs> which one is it? Of course, the point is, if we fear the Lord, if we have that proper reverence for him and recognize that he is God, I am not. He is God and no one else is. If, if I have that reverence, I'm not going to fear anything else in the world. And then, instead of being self-forgetful, he forgets Christ. He follows him at a distance on Holy Thursday after the arrest in the garden. Follows him at a distance. It's a great, it's a great line in the, in the Gospels. Uh, and this is related, of course, to, to that, that lack of fear, that, that fear of others. Instead of, in, instead of being self-forgetful, he becomes self-focused. What, what will people think? And perhaps most of all, he limits himself to natural virtue. And this is Peter's great um, error. Thinking that he can do it alone. Forgetting, that, forgetting grace. Thinking that natural virtue is sufficient. So he... You know, he's walking on the water and then, for, you know, thinking he's doing it on his own. He looks around and realizes, wow, I can't. Uh, at the Last Supper, there's this great profession of love and fidelity and of sacrifice, even willingness to die for our Lord. But he's trying to do it on his own, just by his own, you know, dint of human effort. Uh, and in the garden... This is why I've, I've uh, asked that in, in your packet be included uh, the account in John chapter 21 when, when, when our Lord asks Peter three times, do you love me? And as, ma- as many of you know, our Lord and Peter are using two different words for love. Our Lord is asking, do you have that highest form of love for me? Agapasme. Do, do you love me? Do you love me with agape? 
And, and Peter's saying, yes, I, I, Filio, I, I love you like a friend. Those are the first two exchanges. It's like our, our Lord's saying, can you give me that highest love? And here's Peter after his failure. And he's recognizing the limits of his natural virtue. He's saying, all I can give you is the love of a friend because now I know that I can't give you that highest love that you desire and I desire to give you. I don't have it. And so the third time our Lord says, okay, well, do you love me like a friend? And Peter says, yeah, that much I can do. And then our Lord goes on to tell him, to tell Peter, um, that this love, this natural love, this natural virtue will be sanctified and elevated. I say to you, when you were young, you fastened your own belt and walked where you would. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will fasten you, your belt for you and carry you where you do not wish to go. This he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. In other words, our Lord says, give me that natural virtue you have. I will, by my grace, sanctify it and elevate it. And you will actually give your life for me. So what does this mean for us? Well, I think you can see, brothers, that um, the failure in these three areas is what has plagued the church. There's an irreverence for sacred things, an irreverence for persons, sort of a, a casual attitude on the part of the clergy towards the sacred trust that has been given to them. and an irreverent attitude towards the, say, the people that have been entrusted to them, and the people made holy. You know, St. Paul writes to the holy ones, because we've been made holy. When a priest is entrusted with care for souls, he's, he's entrusted with God's holy ones. There's ir- this irreverence and this, this failure to revere our Lord, most of all, in the sacraments. If I daily handle the body of Christ, how must I live then? Instead of that self-forgetfulness that should characterize priestly ministry, there's too much of a self-focus and worry about what others will say. I mean, how many things have been covered up because we didn't want to look bad? Well, now we're looking bad. And naturalism, not just natural virtue, which is a good thing, but naturalism. In other words, trying to live trying to live the Christian life just with natural virtue, just in natural terms. And so we think that a solution could be just a matter of tinkering with policy. Some of that is necessary, but that's not ultimately a solution. That's just... Any, any good corporation knows how to do that. What should make us different is that the means of correction are supernatural. Not just, just, not just the natural means. And so, brothers, for you, uh, being part of this, this reform, uh, these are points of of examination for you as well. And so asking yourselves, where, where have I failed in reverence for the Lord? Where have I failed to revere him in the sacraments or failed to revere him in the people entrusted to me? 
Where have I failed, failed to revere the, the grace of marriage entrusted to me? This, the, 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 the persons in my household entrusted to my care uh, placed there before me. How have I failed to revere them? Uh, and how can I revere them more? And pray, praying for that grace. It's one of the greatest instructions uh, that's crazy old Jesuit gave us every time we went on retreat. Um, he would always just say in this very odd accent he had that we were to have a great reverence for the other. It was a silent retreat, and, and he just knew that college kids were prone to, you know, <laughs> right, race off and talk or, you know, couldn't handle the silence. And he said, have a reverence for one another. Brothers, where have you failed in that, that, that reverence, uh, recognizing that each person in your home is called to holiness, and you are called to revere that work of grace, and by your prayers, by your example, by your encouragement to help it along. Where have I failed to to remember that he is God, and I am not? Self-forgetfulness. Where have we failed at that, you know? Wondering, worrying about what others will think. What will the world say? If I say grace at meals in a restaurant, what will people think? If I, if I have some sacred image at work, oh gosh, what will people think? Or if I just simply speak about my faith in a natural, just self-forgetful way. Uh, how many times have we cut corners on the faith because we're gauging what we, what we say and do uh, not on the basis of our Lord and that self-forgetfulness that comes with following him, but on the basis of, well, what will the world think? Remember, Pilate, as Mark, Mark's gospel tells us, Pilate hands our Lord over for crucifixion because, um, because of the crowd. He said, in order to please the crowd, he hands our Lord over. Lord, how many times have we handed you over to please the crowd? And when have we failed to live with that supernatural outlook? Seeing our lives in, in you know, not just in 3D, I, I guess I don't know how many Ds a supernatural outlook gives us, uh, but, but too often we really just have a, a, a very, just a truncated view of the world. Uh, when, when every person you encounter is called, to sanctity and to eternal life with God, every single person you encounter. When, when you're walking down the street and there's you know, a crowd of people or the mall or wherever it is, uh, there is a drama going on. There are angels for each person, accompanying them, trying you know, their best to help these people to heaven and to, to sanctity and getting there. Are we aware that, that this world is more than just what can be quantified and empirically established that there is this incredible, incredible drama in which we are involved, this, this adventure that is more than just what we can see, touch, and hear. Uh, and are we using these supernatural means of prayer and, and, and trusting in them? You know, may, may the words, all we can do now is pray, may those never leave your mouth. <laughs> because that, th- those words, that phrase... Uh, that betrays a, a, a lack of a supernatural outlook. The, the best thing we can do, the first 
the middle and the last thing is prayer. And the supernatural outlook is, is his confidence in prayer. I know that this actually has meaning, has purpose, and has an effect. And I'm aware of a Heavenly Father looking upon me with love and desiring that I respond in that way. When have we failed in this? And instead, just viewing things in natural terms and seeing just success in this world or getting by in this world as, as the goal instead of seeing that increase in grace, that growth in being sons of God as our true purpose. These, my brothers, I think, help us to understand our current situation, that, that lack of reverence, that lack of self-forgetfulness, which be- becomes not just self-focused, but a, a worrying about what others think, and that lack of a sap- supernatural outlook. These things lead to not just mediocrity, they, they lead to great evils. And so the part of our response is cultivating that proper reverence, beginning here in, in worship. Uh, they lead to, it, our response needs to be self-forgetful, not, not worrying about myself as much as our Lord and those in my care, and, and relying on the supernatural means for that supernatural end of being his sons.